question. Are you ready to reach new limits? It's time to change your family tree and redefine industry. Enough with all the cliche, cookie-cutter recommendations about finance, business, and life. You found the podcast to give you the tips you need to create the unconventional lifestyle and outcomes you've always wanted. It's time to build your own systems and play your own game. You're tapped in with the one and only Dan Nicholson, and this is Rigging the Game Podcast. Listeners, I am super excited to share with you that my book, Rigging the Game, How to Achieve Financial Certainty, Navigate Risk, and Make Money on Your Terms, is finally available. If you want more details, check it out at riggingamazon.com. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this. Well, anytime you have an opportunity to get the funniest guy in marketing on your podcast, you're supposed, you got to wow. take that take that opportunity. That's how I was originally introduced to you, Dan. Yes, I know. Well, this is, you know, Nick shoehorns us in and makes it go around. And then I feel the pressure to be funny. And then it's a, it's a positive cycle where it's, then I am funny and then people think I'm funny. So I appreciate yeah. it. Just gotta, you just got to lean into it. Just got to lean into it. So where I like to start the show is to ask you to share, tell us about who you are. Now, of course, uh, if someone goes and they Google Dan Barrett, funniest guy in marketing, they'll find your resume and all that stuff, I assume. I, I assume you've uh, used your SEO skills to make sure that Dan, funniest guy in marketing, takes you to your page. I haven't, but I need to go buy the domain name. So that's yeah. a good reminder. and I'm going to write that down. I'll, I'll do write that, that down. So uh, don't give us the resume version. Give us the version that I like to think about is if we're writing your autobiography, what is it that you really want people to know about who you are? There's the facts, of course, but there's really this overarching narrative of who you are as a human. And that's what I'm more interested in uh, talking about and having the audience hear from you. So yeah, t- tell me about yourself, Dan. It's interesting, man. That's, I like that question. Um, I would say that I am a an an artist first and a business person second. And that's how I think of myself. I I got into what I do today, which is primarily online marketing. I work in real estate. Um, uh, You know, I blog and I write about mental models and decision-making and business stuff, right? Related to optimizing business performance, all that fun stuff. And, um, but I got started doing that off the back of being in bands and being a musician and being the guy that had to get the t-shirts printed and handle the money from the promoter and get the website. Like I literally taught myself to code websites because we needed to make a website for the band that I was in in high school. Right. And so uh, I never thought I would be a full-time business person at all. I've never thought of myself as fundamentally analytical. I thought spreadsheets were for nerds, you know, like that was none of that was my stuff. And what's happened is that over time, as I have been driven to accomplish certain things or be ambitious, or just try to improve myself as a business person, or just as a, as a person, as a husband, as a dad or whatever, I've come to rely on and adopt those more analytical modes of thinking in order to do that well. And so the thing that I always try to bring to business or to, uh, you know, teaching or social media, or if I'm doing a video or whatever, the thing I'm always trying to bring to that is 
if I can do this, literally anybody can do this. Like that's the beauty. And that's one of the things I love about you and the stuff that you teach is these are tools. Anybody can use the tool. If you sit down and you learn how to use the tool, you can benefit from everything that that tool can bring you. And it just, to me, it opened up this whole world that I always thought was, you know, this thing that other people did, right? People that were good at math do that stuff. I can't do that stuff, right? And none of that's true. So for me, it, it's something that I'm always trying to bring to everything that I do. It's this idea that like, oh, these these ideas and these concepts and these tools, they are available to anyone with just a little bit of effort and a little bit of education. And I find that incredibly powerful and incredibly liberating. Um, yeah, and it's kind of makes it fun for me to get up every day and come into the office. So that's how I think about what I do. I find it really fascinating to hear you say that you don't consider that you're not necessarily uh, analytical by nature and maybe stayed away from the spreadsheets and all of that. Um, if someone were to ask me to describe you, one, I would say, you know, the funniest, funniest guy in marketing, because uh, that's how I was introduced. And you've allowed that bias to continue because you are legitimately funny. Uh, but I think about you as this analytical, deeply ana analytical person. And, and uh, you were part of our recent uh, cohort in CCA. And I think about, okay, can always count on Dan asking, not just good questions, but often the right questions, right? And I've, I mentioned that because uh, it's interesting to me, just the moment in time that you meet someone, how that bias plays out. So a lot of people know me as, as an accountant and I hate, and I, I know a lot about accounting. You know this, like I, I have this identity crisis because I think about myself more as a entrepreneur and more uh, uh, creative, uh, even though I'm very mathematically inclined, right? But there's this whole segment of my life that people who cannot get past Dan as an accountant. And I'm wondering if you feel that same thing where there's this whole segment of your life of people who don't think about you as an artist, they think about you as a SEO, marketing, analytical person and what that experience is like for you. Yeah, it's, my life is cleaved in twain. You know what I mean? <laughs> like my life is literally cut down the middle because I, I would say at this point, probably more people know me as a musician than as a business person. But the people that know me through work, through business, through the stuff that, you know, like my cohort in CCA, all wonderful people that, that I'm now very close with, right? Those people know me in a certain context. Most of them have no idea that I do anything else, right? Whereas if you follow me on Twitter, what you will mostly get is 17-year-olds posting pictures of me that they took from my business website being, what the hell does this, what does this mean, mm -hmm. right? Because to them, they know me primarily through music. It's a primarily a certain vibe or image or whatever. And it's the same thing over in, in work, right? But to me, those things are not separate, right? Like, I think, you know, we were going to talk about, you know, binaries, essentially, right? And, and I think we tend to think of analytical and creative as two completely separate things. That is not how I think about that at all, right? Those things lie on a spectrum, between different ways of seeing the world, 
But ultimately what all creative activity is, is imagining a better future and then figuring out how you're going to get there. Right. And so you can use this like kind of completely out of the box, um, you know, just throwing ideas at the dartboard, you know, put cover yourself in paint and dance in the woods. Like that's one way of getting to that end goal. And then sitting down and putting things in the spreadsheet and let's saying, let's do a risk analysis. That's another way of doing that. Right. So for me, you know, when I sit down and I think about what do I, what do I want to do in my life, right? My mission in life as I write it down and as I think about it every day is I want to help people make, you know, build deeply fulfilling lives. And you can do that through art and you can do that through work and you can do that analytically and you can do that creatively. Um, so to me, it's all the same thing, but I think most people just perceive it as one or one or the other, which is why it's like, I think the best people in their field, I would, I would count you as one of those, have a little bit of both of those camps in everything that they do, right? There's the spreadsheet, but there's also, hey, you can think about the use of the spreadsheet or how this works in a way that maybe you didn't even think about before, right? You can apply a risk analysis to buying a business. You can also apply it to, you know, maybe don't do this, but you can apply it to whether you should date or marry this person, right? I mean, you can apply these tools in different ways. And I think combining those things is what makes things interesting. So, yeah, and you kind of you kind of tease this uh, pre preference versus binary that we're going to talk about today, and I'll give a little bit of context, and then we can have a back and forth on it. So, in our Certainty Certified Advisor Program, we have this we teach this operating system, and it starts with these four commandments. We call them commandments because you take commandments more seriously than you take assumptions. <laughs> so that's, it's just like fun with words in uh, creative license. Uh, our second commandment is we have to distinguish between preference versus binary. And we tend to want to think of uh, most things as binary. There's a right and wrong. And once we start to realize that there are a lot of right and wrongs, like why is the sky blue and you know, science and math, right? But most of the things that we're faced with in our life and in our business are preferences. And we have this baseline anxiety where we want someone to tell us the right answer. Like, just tell me what the right answer is. Like, well, I don't know. It depends. It depends on what you want. Right? And so uh, we have to, we need this filter to sort of go, okay. And I, I say, what would Google do? You know, can I go Google the answer? That's probably more of a binary right or wrong. If I can't Google it, then it's a preference. And the answer probably exists within me. I just have to find it. And uh, you were just kind of speaking to that, that concept. Um, but you work in marketing, right? The, one of the things that you work in, SEO. And I think people tend to think of something like SEO as like there's only one way to do it. But I know from talking with you that <laughs> there isn't one way to do it. So how does this play out in, in your marketing career? And then where do you see this? So maybe we can start there and then I'll have a bunch of follow-up questions. Yeah, I mean, I do think that marketing in particular, right? So search engine optimization or pay-per-click ads or whatever, right? They are largely dominated by people that think there is a right or wrong way to do things, right? There, there, and, and this is kind of what fuels the hype cycle in marketing, which is always that somebody comes out with a program or a method or a strategy or a tactic and says, this is the new thing, right? 
as a, you know, our, our mutual friend, Nick often says, you know, Stripe, Stripe account screenshot, like here's all the money I made. Here's the thing. And it creates this kind of impression that you constantly have to be playing catch up in order to be doing the right thing. Otherwise you're going to be left behind. And the fact of the matter is one, there are always more exceptions to any rule than there are actual examples of the rule in marketing, right? You could say like, well, I have to have a funnel. I have to have this. I have to have an e email autoresponder. I can point to the vast majority of businesses that aren't going to have any of those things, including multi-million, billion, trillion dollar businesses, right? I mean, it just is kind of not real, but and this is where I think the, the real rabbit hole on preface versus binary opens up. And this is why actually it's one of my favorite parts of CCA is because once you accept that, like once you accept that, hey, there really is no one true way to do most things, right? You have to grapple with this question of, well, what do I want? And that is actually, I, I think it, an existentially difficult question to answer for most things, right? It really is. It becomes this issue of, well, do I really want the things that I want or do I just want things that I see other people wanting or having or working for? It's very easy to fall into that trap. And so constantly backing up and saying, hey, is this a situation where, like you said, can I Google the answer and get a right or wrong? Or is it really an issue of, uh, how do I dial it in to best fit my needs, right? I think that that's a, that's a really profound moment. I, I, there, there are things that seem like they would be clearly binary and are actually preferences, right? So for example, I remember, um, I remember the first time I started realizing this within the context of SEO. We'll talk SEO because you mentioned it, right? So search engine optimization, all it means is, what do I do to get Google to show my website a lot, right? It's all it is. And the, the second there was, I remember so specifically the moment I realized that most of what people say about SEO is complete nonsense. And it was that I basically got a checklist from a coach, really successful SEO person. Here's the checklist, do the thing. And I did every single, I, I mean, this was early in my career. I needed the money. Okay, so I was like, I'm gonna crush it for this client. I dotted my I's and I crossed my T's. I did every single thing. And this client was stuck in number two. And I think the name of the checklist was like the guaranteed number one spot. <laughs> of course, something very hyperbolic. Yes. No way. And this I was like, I would, and I was racking my brain. I could not figure it out. I was like, is it a technical problem? Is it a me problem? Did I not follow the blah, blah, blah? I'm doing all this analysis. I could not figure it out. So I just decided, I was like, okay. I went and I like, literally it's like two in the morning. I like opened up the competitor's website. I'm staring at it. And I'm like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? And I realized, and I, it took me, it took me hours to figure it out. But going through it, I was like, oh, they have the same checklist. I, they have the same, <laughs> yeah. they did all the same stuff. It's the guy who did their SEO was in my class of people in this other SEO, like, I'm basically competing with myself. Yeah. And I realized that SEO is essentially a popularity contest. It's a zero sum game. Only one person can be number one. If you do the same thing as your competition, then you are not ahead. You are just even, right? And so 
it's not an issue where certain things are always right. It's a matter of what can you do better than your competition? In some markets, doing a little is enough to get you to number one. If your competition is not savvy, it doesn't matter. If you are in a market where everyone is savvy and spending thousands of dollars on SEO, guess what? You could do everything right in the world. It might not be enough to get you to number one unless you get on the news or you know whatever. You, know, you, you go to the White House or something dramatic. So I realized it was more about game theory almost than it was about a particular right way to do things. And that, to me, it changed everything about how I think about marketing. Now I just think about marketing as... It's more about relative to the people in my market and relative to what I want. Like, what am I good at doing? What can I do over a long period of time? What can I do particularly well, right? And those are the questions that matter. So for me, it comes up all the time. And it's one of the number one things I talk about with clients. There's a, there's a couple different threads that I want to kind of uh, yeah. pull on from what you just shared. So the at the beginning, you mentioned that re recognizing this preference versus binary, just having this awareness almost creates this existential crisis. And I think that's, uh, if you really stop and ponder that for a moment, uh, I find it to be incredibly true. We've been conditioned on some level that, you know, I get an A. There's, there's got to be something I can do that gives me 100%. So, right, give me the give me the checklist. And once you realize how rare that is actually true, well, what do I do? Because I just want someone to give me the answers. I'm trying to make money. Just give me the answers here. I got goals. I got a Lambo to buy here. I need the checklist. Like, wait a minute. I have options. Someone can't just give me the, the checklist. Um, so that there is a weight that comes with that. Now, with that becomes, for my opinion, is a tremendous amount of freedom if you lean into it. It's like, okay, there's no checklist. So that means I get to make up the rules to some degree. So to me, and you're an, you, you think about yourself as an artist, these folks who, who think about themselves through a creative lens, it's like you now get permission to do whatever you want. Um, the other thing that you... Um, so just kind of echoing what you said, because it kind of uh, hit me in the chest. The other thing that you were mentioning about the checklist is these, these checklists and these masterminds, and I've signed up for some, we've been in one together uh, years ago, or we signed up for the same, we weren't really in it together necessarily, but you get sold on this one way to do it, and then you don't get the results. And what I realized was, how could I expect to be the best by conforming to the average, right. I'm going to copy what everyone else is doing, but then I'm going to be better than them. That assumes I'm going to work, I guess, harder. And there's that whole trap of more and all the other things that we talk about. Uh, but I think for people listening to this, this uh, working with someone like Dan and marketing or other people understand that it depends and actually take the time to get to know what you want is going to be exponentially more valuable than working with someone who just tells you there's only one way. Even if that person has a 20, 30, 50 million dollar, et cetera, business, because they're just going to try and copy what they already did. Copy paste to your business and then it doesn't work and then they tell you you have mindset issues. Like, of course it doesn't work because we got two totally different businesses and I got totally different goals than you have. So 
I can't copy and paste your strategy and get it. I don't have the same brand re uh, recognition, so so on and so forth. All right, so Dan, you wrote a book during uh, the pandemic, I, re I recall. Mm, um, I did, yeah. So I was, I started a blog and I started blogging every week. And then I wrote like 12 or 13 emails in a row and then ended up editing them together into a book that was kind of all about uh, decision-making and stuff. Yeah, that was, a, that was a fun project. I forgot about that. I'm glad that you brought it up. Now I'm like, hey, I did that. That's fun. What, uh, remind me what the book is called. So it was called, oh my God, now I'm not going to, I'm not going to remember. What is it called? Uh, it's we'll been a while. This. So it, we, we, this is all edited out. He, he knows the name of the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't, I cannot quite remember. We're not actually going to edit that part Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was based off my blog, which is called Better Questions. And I named the, the book something extremely uh, pretentious because that is how I wrote. Um, but I cannot remember what it is off the top of my head. All right. Well, we'll fi I'll find the link and I'll, I'll link to it in the notes. Uh, so writing a book, is that something I just finished? Uh, it's a totally masochistic endeavor uh, from my experience. But I think back to this preference versus binary, there's a lot of folks who've been told they must write a book. A book is the perfect front end to your funnel, right? And let's build a book funnel. And here's 10 people who've been super successful writing books who were already successful before they wrote a book, but whatever. Um, so back to uh, preferences, uh, it sounds like you didn't set out to write a book. Like, What was it that drew you to write these blog posts and, and put it all together? Yeah, I started writing um, primarily as a way of engaging with what I was reading, right? So, um, you know, this comes back to, we'll bring it back to preference versus binary, right? I, I really sat down at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I didn't, it's almost hard to remember now, but it was very uncertain, right? And we didn't really know what was going on. And I was like, hey, there's a chance I might go out of business. Like, it's just possible. I don't know. I mean, we're all going to live in yurts real estate won't exist anymore and you know we'll all be in one giant <laughs> yeah. geodesic dome dogs and cats living together basically the whole yeah. ghostbusters uh yeah. exactly thing. right so i was like who knows what's going to happen i don't know um so i just decided that hey like i have to really get to the core of what i'm good at and to me it, you know whether i'm particularly good at it or not what lies at the core of almost everything that i do is reading uh, taking notes and teaching what I learned. That is that loop is pretty much core to to everything that I've ever done in in business, and so and in many ways in art, right? So I was I said you know I think the best way to really set what you are reading and learning into your sort of brain and really set it in concrete is to write about it. Because writing, like you said, it's difficult. If you've never really sat down and tried to really write something that's coherent, it's very hard. It's very hard. And so I wanted to set a discipline. I just said, hey, I'm going to start doing this once a week. Um, and over time, I found that I was just being drawn naturally into these things I was really interested in, like game theory and decision making and stuff like that. So I started to write, you know, and, and, and kind of naturally from that came 
a sequence of thoughts that all kind of tied together, right? So for me, um, I've kept it up. I've blogged pretty much every week uh, since the start of the pandemic. And um, I find it really, really valuable, primarily for me. Like, I think people enjoy it, people read it, but I primarily write because that's how I try to internalize what I'm reading and learning. Um, and I think it's really, really valuable for that. So what I know about you is that you're a prolific note taker and not just in terms of taking the notes, but in the way that you, I think you use Notion or maybe another tool now for organizing and kind of codifying your thoughts. And I look at, I've seen your notes before. I look at it and I go, this is incredibly impressive. And I, I did some searching and I look around like, this is really impressive. Um, and then I think, I wish I should do that. And then I think there's no way I'm ever going to be able to operate at the level that Dan operates with this note taking and notions and all of that, because um, it's amazing. And I know myself. So I think the tendency people hear and they look at something like what you've done that's prolific and they go, OK, I need to copy that. Uh, and then they have now designed a system that's going to blow up because they're not Dan Barrett and they can't organize their thoughts in the way that you do. And then they have this whole like shame spiral about it, um, yeah. right? So I feel like one overarching like B message of Dan Barrett is Dan Barrett really knows who, now I'm talking in, uh, <laughs> but you really know who you are. That, that's, that's the uh, uh, interpretation that I have when I look at your stuff and I hear you talk and, um, like, you know yourself, we would say in CCA, you play your game. Has that been something that uh, you've said has always been part of your uh, personality, that you've always sort of known yourself and played your game? Or when did you kind of start to figure that out and lean into it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I definitely have always had, well, I won't say always, but for, from a, for a very long time, since I was a kid, I have had a streak in my personality that deliberately wants to sort of go against the grain of whatever is happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was a kid that got picked on quite a bit, but I was also that put my, I was a kid that put myself in a position to stand out on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And so I know that that's kind of a part of me that I, I have a sense that if I am going too easily along with what other people are doing, I start to get itchy or get nervous, right? Now that can go the other way. You can just as easily be anti-memetic as you can be memetic, right? It's If you are just constantly defining yourself in contrast to everyone else, you're still defining yourself relative to everyone else, right? You are not defining yourself in and of yourself. and so. You know, I have that kind of whatever you want to call it, countercultural or just rebellious streak for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the thing that's really helped me come to terms with myself, which was not, is not a finished product by any means and was not easy for me at all um, because I had a lot of, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of guilt or shame or, you know, whatever. I've had sort of depressive episodes and all these things that everybody struggles with at some point or another, usually, right? For me, the thing that helped me sort of 
put that all into a package that I was happy with was a regular and disciplined uh, system of introspection. So for me, you're saying like note-taking, note-taking became a thing that I really invest a lot of time in. It's a thing I prioritize. It's a thing I think is very important. But what that grew out of was one morning a week spent journaling. And that practice of sitting down and having the same questions to answer every week, there's a reason that I call my blog Better Questions, to say, I'm going to set these questions up and every week at the same time on the same day, could be an hour, could be two hours, whatever, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to answer this. How did last week go? Why do I think it went that way? What could I do better? Right? It's not complicated, right? But it was the practice of doing that regularly over time that I think sort of drove me to realize most of the problems, and I won't project on everyone else, but most of the problems in my life are caused in some way by things I do or think or believe. And if you can start to see that, you're right, to start to scratch away at the surface and start to get at what's really underneath, you realize you have a lot of power. You have a lot of power in this life to make things the way that you want, to adapt to things that don't go your way, to have opportunities that other people just think you can't have. So, so for me, it's kind of twofold, right? I have that tendency to, to react to other people and to sort of oppose them. But by constantly going back and examining myself and saying, how can I make this better? How can I accept responsibility for what happens to me in a more profound way? You start to turn that into sort of a self-authoring, right? Or a self-sculpting or a sense of like, I can make myself into who I want to be. So today I would say I'm very happy with who I am, but mostly that's because I feel like who I am is a product of all that labor I've been putting in, if that makes sense. It does. And you just use the term sculpting. And we talk about in uh, CCA about sculpting versus grinding. And we've been taught to grind, but really what we want to do is, is sculpt. And that's a process that takes time. So it sounds like for you, again, my, my react, my experience with you has been, this guy really knows himself. That, that's been my experience from, from day one. But the reality is you've sculpted that over years and there's probably some grinding along the, the way as well, <laughs> but a lot of sculpting. And, and so, uh, it's, it, the tendency is to list, see your success, uh, see what you're doing, and then immediately, uh, oh, I want to be like Dan Barrett, so let me go copy it. Well, you had to sculpt that over years and years and years and years, and that's what I want people to take away, is that this whole preference versus binary is that you get to shape your life the way you want it. You get to write the rules. There's, there are some laws that we have to follow, but there's also more things that you just get to determine and the process of knowing yourself and determining, hey, you know what? Note-taking is going to be in organizing things. That's the thing that works for me. And uh, I think that's really a, a powerful observation and, and uh, kudos to you to do that, put in the work because it's, it's definitely not easy. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. And I think it's it's one of the reasons that I always felt like CCA aligned so powerfully with the stuff that I wanted to do, because at no point do you come into CCA and 
someone like you or whoever is just says, here's what you have to do. No one's ever going to tell you that, right? You don't come into CCA and say, everyone's going to come out with a trophy and a webinar or whatever it is. You go in and what you get are tools to help you build the life that makes sense for you, which by the way, just happens to be the one that's going to be the most fun and give you the most opportunities and the most options. But you know, at no point does someone say, hey, fit into this box over here because that's the best box. We've all determined that on average, everyone likes this box the most because I'm probably not going to like that, right? So I, th I think it's one of the most liberating things that you pick up in CCA. And I think through, wor through working with you and, and the people that you've worked with is there is so much more in life than that is preference than is binary, right? If so much more of reality is open to your influence than you think is. And that's really, really fun and a little exciting and a little scary sometimes, but it's liberating in the deepest sense of the word. So I've always really appreciated that about you. And and I, teach. I think I appreciate you for saying that. And I, I sincerely appreciate you coming on and just appreciate uh, the way that you consistently show up and the questions that you ask. I, I do think that your, your blog could not be better titled. Um, because sincerely, you ask the best questions. Sometimes I don't even want to call on you because I know that it's like, okay, he's about to ask the right question. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is, but I know that uh, I'm going to have to really think about the answer. So I appreciate that about you. And thanks for coming up. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and I love the work that you do. And I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the podcast. It's going to be awesome. awesome. Right on. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. If you're interested in learning more about my book, Rigging the Game, How to Achieve Financial Certainty, Navigate Risk, and Make Money on Your Terms, go to riggingamazon.com. If you're interested in joining our next cohort in the Certainty Certified Advisor Program, go to certaintyu.com.